Hello and welcome to Blockchain Gaming World episode 154. I'm your host John Jordan. Don't forget to check out my daily email about everything that's happening in the world of blockchain gaming. You can find that at gamestx.substack.com. In this episode, I talk to Luke uh, Barwakowski, who is not only the CEO, he's also the CTO of Pixels. Uh, Pixels is the uh, current big hit of the sort of blockchain gaming sector. So it's actually been around for a couple of years on the Polygon blockchain, but it moved to the Ronin blockchain in November 2023 and catapulted itself from about 5,000 daily active unique wallets to a recent peak of about 180,000 daily active unique wallets. Part of that has been its play to airdrop campaign. So it's got a new token coming out called Pixel and it had a campaign where people could end up on a leaderboard for allocations of that token. I'd not spoken to Luke before, um, so it was a really a good experience where I was learning stuff as well. And I think he comes across as someone who is obviously very intelligent, very committed, uh, very enthusiastic and very ambitious for uh, Pixels and how it is going to, going to um, progress in the next year. Uh, and I think particularly a standout line for me was when he said, if something isn't working, uh, we have no problems ripping it out and starting again. We're really focusing on the long term, even if that means sort of short term problems. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, the uh, the uh, interview. Um, hope you do too. Don't forget to subscribe. Every week now we are uh, pumping out new episodes of the podcast. We've got the next one already in the can for next week. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, and um, and on with the show. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the show. Very pleased today. I have uh, Luke Barwickowski, who is the CEO over at Pixels. How's it going, Luke? Yeah, going really good. Thanks so much for having me today. <laughs> and uh, well, really, thank you to you because I imagine your your life is 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 uh, in the in the nicest way an absolute maelstrom of just stuff going on. So <laughs> yeah, really great to have right you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, a bit of sort of setting set, setting the scene. So so for people who don't know, uh, Pixels I, I think has really been in the in the vanguard of sort of setting up blockchain gaming as as a big sector for the next sort of bull run. So timing, I guess, just happened really well with you guys that you moved from Polygon, launched on Ronin uh, November last year. Um, and since then, uh, you've become very quickly the most popular blockchain game in terms of on-chain activity, which isn't everything, but is a <laughs> pretty big thing. And uh, a lot of things you've been doing have really, I think, set the set the scene for what other people are doing. So plenty to um, sort of talk about over the next half an hour or so. But let's uh, find out a little bit more about you. So um, can you tell us a bit of backstory? How did you get into into blockchain gaming? Because the other thing we forget is Pixels has been around. I always forget it's been around for like at least a couple of years, isn't it? So um, yeah, yeah, over two years now, which is crazy. Almost two and a half years, which is nuts. Um, so yeah, I guess the story of Pixels is like a couple parts, right? It's like my own personal journey. It's the team journey. It's how we moved into Web three gaming to. Um, so on a personal level, I guess it kind of started when I was like 12 years old. Um, I started coding when I was 12. I started making video games when I was wow. 12, which is funny how I ended up back in gaming. Um, yeah, I don't know why I, it was one of those things that I just kept really secret from all my friends. I didn't want to be shown as like a computer there to all my friends. Um, yeah. but I just fell in love with like game development from a really young age. And, um, yeah, I went to study university, um, at the university of Michigan. I studied computer science and economics there. Um, and funny oh, enough, too, okay. I got good combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because the blockchain is ideal, isn't it? <laughs> I thought this economics degree I was studying was going to be completely useless. It was just one of those things I really, really enjoyed. I wanted some kind of skills on top of the computer science stuff. Like I knew mm. basically when I was 12, I was going to study computer science. I had this like journey mapped out in my head of like moving to San Francisco from the Midwest, um, you know, working at like a fang company. Um, and um, yeah, what's <laughs> funny too is I also had really early exposure to Bitcoin as well. Um, I started mining Bitcoin when I was like 13 oh, really? or 14 in my parents' basement. 
Um, I thought it was the coolest thing that I could <laughs> leave my parents' computer on. Um, and this is when Bitcoin wasn't, you know, as crazy popular. I think it was like no. $13 when I started mining it. Um, and it's funny because I don't have any of that Bitcoin. I'm not a Bitcoin millionaire. Um, but uh, yeah, I got really early exposure to crypto. The interesting thing is when I studied economics at university, my professors hated Bitcoin. Um, you can like reference Paul Krugman's <laughs> essay. And I would say like Paul Krugman is one of my favorite economists when it comes to just like economic policy, all that design. And he is still anti-Bitcoin to this day. Um, a lot of the criticism revolved around the actual utility of cryptocurrencies. And, you know, for a while, even through like the 2017 bull cycle, all of that, I just kind of tuned out from crypto in general. Um, wasn't really on my radar. I was kind of skeptical of the value behind it. Um, and I instead started like a different entrepreneurial journey. I worked in Silicon Valley for like almost two years. And I left my job and I started doing some freelance work and I started um, starting my own companies too. Um, and for like two years before okay. we started Pixels, I was in the virtual events space, virtual events and virtual space space. Oh, wow. Okay. Kind of like the metaverse category before it was really labeled as metaverse. This was like 2019, 2020. Um, and we learned a ton of lessons in that. We had a really interesting product. It was the first application of what you call spatial video chat. You've seen a couple other companies take that to the next level. Gather that town is probably the most known competitor right now. But we found with virtual spaces, this is a key lesson for a lot of these metaverse companies that were popping up in like 2021, 2022 is we had no predictable usage. We were selling to enterprise companies, companies like Apple, Uber, Rippling, Workday were all customers mm -hmm. of us. But the issue is we never knew when their next event was going to be. If we did have like consistent use cases, the best use case scenario that we saw was that people were using our spaces for about an hour a week on a scheduled cadence. And this is about like 2021 when we realized what we were doing in the space just was not working. We needed to try something else. And that was at the same time as Axie Infinity's like rise to prominence, right? And that was the first time where it clicked mm -hmm. in my head where it was like, wow, there is something really interesting with this application of cryptocurrency and this application of the blockchain um, and using it inside of gaming. That was when it finally clicked inside of my head of like, wow, Web3 actually has some legs to stand on here. And there actually is some really, really interesting stuff. And then with my economics background, I was just fascinated by the idea of basically building an economy ground up. There was tons of interest on my end. And um, yeah, at the same time, we also had a NFT collection that was using this previous product that we had. Um, they were really, really annoying to me okay. at first. I didn't really understand like, you know, <laughs> NFTs at that time, um, but they kept bugging us to put their NFTs inside of our game that we had. And eventually they bugged us enough where I just caved in because we were in this pivot mode. We were trying to figure out what to do with this tech. And it actually created this really interesting use case. We were one of the first games one of the first products really to start doing these NFTs as avatars inside of the gaming ecosystem. And that took off and got us a lot of attention uh -huh, in the Web3. Yeah. And combined with um, like you know what I was seeing with Axie Infinity, it gave me some really strong conviction to move into that direction. And yeah, we started building a Web3 in like September 2021. Um, we launched our own NFT collection. And then, yeah, we've been building Pixels since then. And Pixels as itself has been this crazy journey. Building a Web3 is insane. <laughs> It's nuts. It's very unpredictable. It's not easy, um, but we <laughs> different approaches early on. So I think the ethos of Pixels um, and what we've been developing over the last two years is one, building with community first. We take a really different approach to building than traditional game studios where we've been building in public for two years. I've been hopping on AMAs with our community, basically giving complete transparency into like what our objectives are, what we're trying to build, who we are. And we've been doing really careful community curation since then as well. 
Um, and the whole point of what we were trying to focus on in Web3 was finding an audience who actually cared about what we were building and building with them. So this building in public approach has kind of set the entire intention and the entire um, like path of pixels. And I think that's been a large part of like why we're here now. Um, because before we moved to Ronin, we yeah. had a community who actually liked the game. We got feedback, we built it iteratively. Um, and you know, once we moved to Ronin, that was the big difference maker for us. Um, where you know we had this good product with like you know a decent level of baseline retention, and then Ronin really brought this crazy level of distribution. So those two things together have been kind of a difference yeah. maker for us, and like kind of led to where we're at now. So you set the scene there. You can see sort of you know sort of techie sort of mindset in the very early days. You sort of do your education, then you go into sort of entrepreneurship to do some stuff in Silicon Valley and sort of you know find your way to this sort of uh, you know what's going to become pixels. You didn't really mention gaming at all. I suppose sort of everyone these days is a gamer, but was that something you particularly were interested in or was that not really like a big thing for you? Yeah, so I grew up playing RuneScape. Like I grew ah. up playing RuneScape. <laughs> I can't yeah. emphasize how much I played um, okay. growing up doing that. So it was a really big part of my childhood, really big part of my upbringing. That's where like so many of my friends and I like socialized, hung out after yeah. school, um, things like that. So like MMOs are deep in my veins for that reason. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's part of the interesting part of web three gaming to me, open economy, um, all the economics around it. And that's the fun part, right? Um, the idea when I was talking to my friends, of um, when we first moved into pixels and first started pivoting in here was like, okay, what if we had runescape on chain or what if we had runescape as this, um, like open economy combined with the cryptocurrency. And there's a lot of inspiration that we're even taking from, you know, the MMOs of, you know, my lifetime, um, in how we build pixels, how we think about economics, how we think about the different player personas. Okay, cool. So I guess in that case, in that case, in sort of RuneScape is sort of the the inspiration. Um, but how does the sort of the, the vision for pixels as an actual sort of product come together? I mean, how was that something that was quite quick that you're sort of you sort of know in your head and you're building towards it, or how's that iterative process happen? Oh, not at all. Yeah, there's so many things. <laughs> made assumptions about in web three, especially early on that we have completely yeah. flipped on. Um, okay. and I think that's part of our advantage in pixels of building more like a startup and iterating where I still think that nobody really knows what's going to work in web three gaming, including us and having that mindset <laughs> rather than us claiming that we have this master plan and we are 100% sure that it's going to work in web three. Yeah. We like to take more of a exploratory approach, more like a lean startup where we're on our way to find product market fit and there's a combination of you know our best intuition and also thinking about what the market actually responds to well what our players like what actually works in practice what i've learned about web3 tokenomics game design is yeah you need to be willing to adjust and iterate um, and you need to really be willing to explore things that you didn't explore before in order to actually find out what works there's this theoretical side to how games might work and that's great you can do all the planning you want but i think mike tyson said it best um, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face right and you can't plan for some of the other problems that you're going to be experiencing web three that Side note has been a really awesome part of working with Axie Infinity, working with the Sky Mavis team, because they're giving us so much guidance on all the things that, you know, they ran into before. And that's been a huge advantage for us because we don't have to go and fall into the same mistakes they made. Um, and yeah, I kind of like to think about what we're building out as the next generation of some of these concepts that were already in Web3, things like guilds, play to earn, 
all this kind of stuff and really trying to figure out how we can make it better, how we can make it a bit more sustainable, more fun, cater to all of these user personas. There's so much to dig into and so much depth and nuance here. It's really exciting and it's fun to build in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, as I said at the, at the start, sort of the big uh, sort of way, the big event that sort of made Pixels sort of be, become sort of headline news was, was the move to Ronin. Um, so can you talk, talk a little bit about, about that process? Um, obviously, you were on Polygon for, you know, I guess a couple of years. Um, Polygon's, <laughs> you know, big blockchain. Uh, but uh, why, why did you decide to move and why, did, why, why to Ronin? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things with it. I'm not here to talk bad about anybody or to no, no. like say one blockchain is better than the other, but I can say the value that Ronin's brought and what we were looking for when we were thinking about moving chains. And to me, the biggest part and the hardest part in Web3 is distribution and user acquisition. In Web3, you don't have access to traditional UA platforms or traditional distribution platforms like Steam, like App Store, and that is really hard on a Web3 game. There is a whole host of things where maybe that's going to get figured out in the long run. But me as a project, as a founder, I'm not waiting on other people to figure out these problems. And I'm not waiting years and years to figure out how we can get yeah. distribution now. How I've always kind of felt like the space should work is I felt like the space, at least the relationship between chain and game should be more like publisher to game. And Ronin, they got that. We have so many shared values in our ethos of how we build how we view the space with Ronin, it just made natural sense for us to move there. Um, I've been talking to every chain and you know, a lot of other interesting chains doing some interesting stuff too. But for us, the things that we were looking at was one, like mentorship from people who had been there and done that. I was so sick of getting advice in Web3 gaming from people who had not shipped a Web3 game. Um, they just didn't understand the nuance, the depth, all the issues that you might run into. And really, you just have to be in Web3 to understand what the problems that come with it are. And Ronin, Axie Infinity, Sky Mavis, they're the only team in Web3 that actually achieved scale in Web3 gaming before. And they're the people who have the most knowledge on how to basically mitigate some of the issues with that, how to build out better systems um, and go in that direction. So one, the mentorship, the advice, the uh, like ability to work closely with them was a huge draw to us. And the other aspect was the distribution layer too. Um, again, you don't have distribution access like you do in Web2 in Web3 and the distribution that Ronin brings is insane. Um, I think everybody sees it now that we've launched on the Ronin network, what the Ronin effect can actually do, how many users Ronin's already onboarded, how costly it is to onboard users um, as well, and how good are the demographics that Ronin brings as well too. Um, on other chains, you might have some activity, um, but they're not gamers. And that's the important part for a Web3 game, right? You want gamers playing your game. You don't want DeFi traders or all of these other types of personas that exist in Web3 in your game. You want people who are actually playing the game there to enjoy it. And Ronin has already done the hard work of onboarding millions of users onto their chain. And it was a natural move for us for that reason. So in, in terms of that sort of, I mean, I don't know if you want to go into exact numbers, you know, you sort of very quickly you sort of went from, I don't know, I don't know, you didn't have, seem to have many, many on Polygon, but, you know, maybe tens of thousands of players on Polygon and to Ronin, you know, I don't know, up to 100, say 150,000 DAUs now. Obviously, there's, you know, usually discussed, there's some bots in there, but but did you really feel that sort of road, because equally a little bit for Ronin, they, you know, they have Axie Infinity that some people are playing, but obviously nothing like it was. 
So there was you were sort of saying they were giving you distribution, but almost like you were giving them, you know, there were very few games on Ronin and certainly not any non-Axie games to play. So you you sort of gave those people who had been engaged on the Ronin blockchain maybe a year ago with Axie something to do as well. So there was quite a synergy between the chain and the product. Yeah, no, it's an amazing symbiotic relationship. And that's what I was dying yeah. for for so long too, like an understanding <laughs> that, yeah. you know, it's a two-way street, right? Um, like the chain can help us a lot. We can also help the chain by giving them more utility, more like sticky usage inside of their ecosystem. And, you know, you have to have a product that can retain users to get to that point. Um, you can't do this with a bad game, basically. Um, and we have been doing a ton of retention optimization on our end for the last year and a half to make sure that the game was at a level where if we started to get more users, we would actually be able to retain them. And yeah, it's just been a great symbiotic relationship there. What was sort of the, I mean, I guess you, I guess you hoped the launch would go well, but uh, I guess it went a lot better than you thought. What, what were the sort of biggest surprises that arose in those sort of early sort of weeks when you're just like, well, <laughs> everyone's turned up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Axie Infinity was sitting at like 30K DAU at the time. I was like, dang, if we hit 30K DAU when we launched and Ronin, massive success in my mind. We were sitting at like 5 to 10, 10K DAU on Polygon before. And yeah, it just completely yeah. exceeded my expectations. Like the, uh, that was a bit of a risk that we were taking before. It's like, but that was what I was thinking before we moved to Ronin. I had this feeling that there were just a ton of users that were sitting there waiting in the Ronin chain for more experiences and more games and they could be reactivated basically. And I think that's kind of what we proved mm -hmm. where the Ronin gamers actually are still onboarded even if they hadn't been active before, they were in the ecosystem, they had stake in the ecosystem ownership, and they had the willingness to play more games on top of that ecosystem too. So yeah, it was a bit of a risk. Before we moved to Ronin, I was telling people that we were gonna be doing it. And I got a lot of question marks, right? But then the week after we did it, nobody questioned it anymore. And everybody <laughs> kind of sees the value, right? And since you've sort of gone live, I guess you had sort of a cadence of, of what sort of stuff you wanted to sort of release. How much has that be has that been impacted by as soon as you have a game that gets very successful, then there's a whole bunch of just sort of sort of user quality stuff you have to deal with. And you've had obviously, obviously all the bots to deal with as well. So what's the sort of balance between sort of the stuff you, you sort of wanted want to do in terms of like building out and then just sort of slightly firefighting, maybe that's the wrong metaphor, but sort of dealing with just what's going on right now every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's been a huge thing. So luckily we, had a game that was live for a while. So like the team's already, you know, somewhat experienced with live ops. Um, the difference of live ops between 10K DAU and 150K <laughs> DAU is quite different, obviously. So, you know, infrastructure started breaking. Um, it had to like re-talk to all of our enterprise vendors and had to like re-sign new contracts, things like that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> a bit of growing pains for sure. Um, but now I feel like we're in a really lucky spot. We're a bit more capitalized and we can start to invest, you know, more resources in the live ops and content and also more resources into innovation, new features, and all the things we want to be building out when it comes to the roadmap as well. Um, so yeah, that's the tricky part, right? Because the, the live ops is super important for user retention, for user experience. And yeah, we're getting better and better at that. And also the community management too. That was a huge one. Mm -hmm. Community management of, you know, 10 to 20,000 users is a lot different than the community management of a hundred thousand or even we're having to find ways to scale that in different areas. For example, I was extremely hands-on with community management um, early on. For like the first two years of Pixels, I was the most active person in our Discord. And unfortunately, I don't have the same amount of time as I did before. 
to be quite that active. What we've done a really good job at is scaling different types of people into our ecosystem, having more community ambassadors. Um, yeah, Heidi on my team is one of the ones that's leading that. She's super smart with all that side of things. And yeah, that's been quite good as well. So now I feel like we're in a better spot where we can start to focus on the new stuff um, and mm -hmm. roll all of that out over the next like, you know, three to 12 months. Um, and that's exciting too, because we have a lot of stuff planned. Yeah, and sort of, it, it, it was funny. I, I don't know whether I sort of read, read the tweets wrong or something, but at the start of the year, you were just like, um, yeah, we are going to do a, we are going to, because you, you have a, a, you have a token called Berry that's been around for a while, but sort of a, a, a utility token. And then sort of at the start of the year, you said, we are going to have this new token, but we're not announcing it yet. So there's going to be loads of scams. Don't, you know, don't, don't point your browsers towards these sort of things. And then li literally I look the next day, you're like, yeah, we're doing this pl play to airdrop <laughs> campaign. Everyone's like, wow. So you're obviously quite comfortable uh, with scaling because obviously you've announced a play to airdrop campaign that's going to increase your audience quite a lot <laughs> yeah it's been pretty effective so far it got us from like 110k <laughs> daily actives to like over 170,000 daily active wallets so that's great um and yeah that's one part of the ethos right like what we want is we want to find the best users inside of our ecosystem and we want to reward them we want to give them great incentives to stay inside of the ecosystem and this is actually something that we, it's interesting because it's like a whole new meta that's popping up in Web3 Gaming, right? This is something that we already experimented with for the Berry token over a year ago. We were kind of the ones that set this to play the airdrop meta in the beginning. Um, I, I want to say that we were the ones that coined that term even. Um, but yeah, it's it's super exciting to see it like come back in terms of this meta. Um, and yeah, we were in a great position to do it again. And now, yeah, the Pixel token's quite near and that's the next big thing for us. That's what we're most excited about. Um, and so there's um, and even even before that, it, it's sort of been interesting, I think, at least for me to sort of see how you sort of you balance the web three and the web two because um, something else that I think you've um, again you haven't sort of invented, but you've been quite prominent, I think, in your success of it is this sort of VIP membership um, sort of program, which is sort of people paying to sort of ha you know ha have you know better better progress in the game and 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 and, and sort of access to, to other things which again is something we see or sort of see a lot in you know free to play mobile games they all have these this sort of things especially the sort of the, the asian ones but we haven't really seen those sort of um sort of methods used in 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 web3 games so it's sort of, it's, it's an interesting to see pixels as a obviously you know a fairly on-chain sort of game but but then you know tapping into some of these best practices of of just normal gaming yeah that's what's great about being you know early to market we get to try out all of these things and yeah the Battle Pass model, I think, is going to be way more popular in Web3 just because it's working so well for us. Um, yeah. It's really interesting because it aligns incentives a bit better. One issue that we were struggling with at one point was value capture inside of our ecosystem. It's funny because we um, had this game. People were like doing pretty well inside of our game, making money when we were on Polygon, and we captured no revenue, which isn't great <laughs> for incentive alignment between us and the players, right? We need to come up with a way where we can actually still build out a sustainable company so that we can continue to build and develop the game. Um, and this is a really interesting model to do that. It's almost like if you want to frame it in economics, it's almost like a tax on the ecosystem in a way um, yeah. where we can still continue to fund out game development. We can still um, continue to build out features. And it also was really good for a couple of the other objectives that we're working on, things like bot prevention and detection. Um, putting like a small paywall in front of bots is like probably the most effective thing that you can mm. do. 
Um, and we're also working on a bunch of other methods as well. But yeah, it really helps even out some of the economics as well too. And I don't know how, how much you want to delve into sort of, sort of the roadmap. You, you, are, you, you do come across as very enthusiastic and very sort of ambitious on, on, on some of your Twitter things. You say you, you, know, you only built half of the stuff you want to do. But uh, so, so maybe so over the, over the next six months, what are the sort of the high level sort of things that you, you want to be accomplishing um, in, the, in the game? Yeah, so we're releasing the Pixel token, um, which is a yep. huge thing to be doing. Um, we're really, really excited about what this unlocks for us. To us, this is kind of how we start to shift the economics to be a bit more sustainable than they are right now. Mm -hmm. um, right now, our yeah. barrier currency is quite inflationary and I see it as a very big risk. And we're really excited to get out rewards that are a bit more predictable on our end, like much more easily able, we can much more easily distribute them in a precise manner. And that's some of the tech that we'll be building out over the next six months in addition to what we're doing now. We have like the baseline for it, uh, earnings distributions. But to me, that's the hard tech in Web3. It's how do you identify the best users how do you reward the best users and how do you actually get them the earnings? Um, it's interesting because play to earn is this dirty word in Web3 right now, but I actually think there's this version of it that's going to be successful in kind of the future of gaming in the long run. And I think this part is the necessary part to make it work. So we've introduced some systems like a reputation system, which has been quite effective. Basically, we look at like, you know, some off-chain data that you connect, some like on-chain data that you connect, like if you have stuff in your wallet, if you played other Web3 games, if you have socials connected, that increases your reputation score. But we also do is we combine that with some in-game data that we have on these users as well. Like, have you been progressing through the game? Do you trade with bot like players, things like that? And we can get a better idea of who our users are that are actually helping us and helping create growth in the ecosystem. And to us, that's what we want to be focusing on when we think about the Pixel token. Um, we don't want to get the token out to bots. That's not good for anybody. Um, and we want to make sure that we're giving it out to even like more granular user personas too. So we have an idea of like the four user personas that we want to be kind of targeting early on. There's the free to play players, there's VIP players, there's landowners, and there's what we call ambassadors, people who are like, you know, creating content, who are sharing, referring all of this side of things. But then there exists the next level that we'll be developing out further in the next six months of getting even granular, more granular into all of these personas. So in the free to play, like what are the players there? There's farmers, there's um, people who trade, there's like all of these other things. How do we start to create systems that incentivize the behavior that we think will grow the ecosystem best and targeting like even more precise user personas over the next little bit too. So that's the exciting stuff to me. That's a lot of what we'll be working on there. And then, yeah, there's gonna be a huge focus on gameplay over the next six months as well too. We have a couple of really big releases that we've been working on and a couple of really awesome features that I'm excited about. Um, the first being chapter two. So chapter two is basically a rework of a lot of the core systems inside of Pixels. Um, it's gonna change the gameplay pretty drastically. Um, and that's one thing that we're not afraid to do. If we see something that's not working, I'm literally willing to rip up everything and try something else. Um, we're, not, we're not afraid of that because we know it's better in the long run if we make some short-term painful decisions um, it might affect growth a little bit in the short run, but we are really working for is like long-term sustainability and all of our economics and the gameplay. We want to make sure that people are playing this because they're having fun um, and then having the incentives be something on top, right? So yeah, we have chapter two coming. It's a big rework of systems. Um, we have guilds. That's a new social five feature yes. that we're going to be releasing. It's kind of like if Brentech merged with gameplay and guilds, and that's going to be tightly integrated into um, our chapter two release as well. 
we want to shift a lot of the play style from just grinding, which is there's a user persona that loves to grind in Web3. They love it. Um, whether they like to admit it or not, um, that's something they're really attracted to. But if you have all the players in that type of persona, um, you know, that's not the best gameplay that we want to be putting forward. We want to start to implement more social dynamics, more social play. Um, and one new interesting concept we want to start to introduce is like the idea of winners and losers inside of our ecosystem as well. Like a game is fun when there's stakes there, when, you know, you don't know you're going to have guaranteed success. And in a farming game, it's interesting because you play a game like Stardew Valley. Um, it's single player, right? Your goal is to become a billionaire. Um, that's not how the real world works. That's not how MMOs work. Not everybody can always get to the top of the charts, right? So we want to add some elements of risk, some elements of um, gameplay that kind of incorporate that as well. Um, more like a traditional MMO um, in some of those senses. That's where some of the RuneScape inspiration comes. We take a lot of inspiration uh -huh. from EVE Online when we're thinking about some of the future economics too. I think that's a great example of, you know, a Web2 game that's shockingly like Web3. Um, and yeah, we also have some other fun stuff coming after that as well. Yeah, it'd certainly be very interesting to see what the EVE Online team do with their blockchain game, which is now in development. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's good you mentioned guilds because it clearly there's a big, there's a big, you know, I think in every blockchain game, guilds are a, a key sort of building block, certainly for the sort of um, sort of ongoing uh, sort of parts of the game. But but even even with with the sort of current stage of pixels, you've been quite successful in doing things like like Mockaverse sort of being being quite active in the, in that game, and obviously Mockaverse is is quite a growing sort of uh community itself and it's sort of very interesting i think with blockchain games where you can sort of you know they're very open to having all these communities can all come into your game and other games as well and, and you have this this really sort of interesting matrix of of sort of um yeah sort of incentives and people enjoying stuff in different games and, and there being guilds around that which are you know meta to, to the game so that's really a sort of, I, I think a really sort of fascinating thing that i hope we'll see a lot more of sort of this year um so it's, it's good to see pixels sort of picking up on that and, and, and integrating that those sort of things. Yeah, I like to talk about primitives a lot. And I think guilds is one of those web three yeah. primitives that are really interesting and they're not unique to web three, right? There's guilds and things or there's guilds or clans and MMOs like wow is all about that, right? Um, but there's interesting emergent behavior with guilds in web three that you don't really see in some other styles of gaming. Um, I think Eve Online is closer to what we want when we think about guilds where it's like a group of people working together for a common goal rather than maybe like the first iteration of guilds in Web3 gaming that popped up where it was more, um, you know, we pay upfront fees for you and you give us returns. Um, yeah, that's probably not what we're looking for when we're thinking about guilds, but we do love the aspect of basically creating systems that help free to play players still stay involved, give them a role inside of the ecosystem and also create um, incentive structures for guilds to help us grow too. I see guilds as an amazing user acquisition tool where basically if we can yeah. create a system where a guild um, gets rewarded or thrives in our ecosystem, they're incentivized to do their own user acquisition for our game, right? And that's a great symbiotic relationship if we can really hone down the incentives there. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, yeah, it's a good point. It, it was sort of the... The original uh, sort of uh, Mark One guild structure that sort of took Axie to its heights, and then, but then obviously was so so much so much guild activity was going into the game that the economy blew up. So, so the, I guess there's a warning there. But with your economics background, it seems like, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Sky maybe his learnings as well. Hopefully, that's that's something uh, that, that can be overcome. Yeah, there's a lot to dig in there. So, I think one of the key things that 
most people realize in Web3 gaming now is like the earn aspect is interesting. The earn aspect isn't unique to Web3. If you go on TikTok, if you go on YouTube, there are already earning systems for creators, right? Like this is something that's already getting more and more popular in Web2. What's interesting about Web3 is it lowers the friction even more and you can get even more granular with it as well too. So we like to think about it in the same way. It's like, who are the people who are actually providing value to the ecosystem or people who help the ecosystem grow? And there is a there is value in every persona inside of the game and ecosystem, the farmers included, but rewarding needs to be a bit more targeted, right? So a lot of what we're exploring over the next six months is how do we distribute rewards to user personas? Like what percent of rewards should each user persona get? Um, if you create a system where 90% of rewards are going to farmers, then um, yeah. yeah, you might not have something as sustainable. That's a lot of sell pressure on the ecosystem. Like that's a user persona that's probably there for just the farming. But if you create a system where it's like, okay, maybe like 10 to 20% of the rewards there are reserved for farmers. And they help create like good base inside of the game. They help create like a good solid user base. Um, and then, you know, different user personas get other rewards too. Like the people who progress further, the people who are sharing more, like that's the interesting stuff to me as well. So yeah, I think to me, that's kind of the next evolution of this. And it ties in with guilds. It ties in with like all these other things we've seen before. Cool. Excellent stuff. Thank you uh, very much, Luke, for, for digging in to, uh, to your thoughts around uh, what's going to be going on with Pixels over the next six months. That was really great. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to you for watching, listening to the podcast, however you are consuming it. Uh, every week now, uh, we've gone weekly for 2024. Um, so every week now, we're talking to the people who are building out this, uh, this this new way of gaming. I think it's absolutely fascinating in terms of the games. It's fascinating in terms of the sort of economics, the community, all the stuff we've been talking about um, today. So uh, do subscribe and I come back next time and see you then. Bye-bye.